0: We are in our second week of our BC series, and uh, this series is nothing flashy, nothing fancy. It's just we're doing a deep dive into the Old Testament before Christ to draw out some of the Old Testament stories of of two things. These are our two main purposes. One is to find and dig into who is God. What is the character of God and his activity in our lives? And secondly, where do we see Jesus? Because when you start reading the Old Testament through a certain lens of Jesus, you start seeing, oh, he's everywhere in the Old Testament. And so those are kind of the two things we're looking at. And last week we kicked off this series with the very famous story of Jonah. And we looked at a guy who was a prophet of God, who had a very specific instruction to go to a very specific place, and he said, no, no. He said, "I'm in fact, not only no, I'm going to go the other way. And so we looked at Jonah, kind of this, this uh, almost a cartoon character type VBS guy, and we dug into the fact that what we see in Jonah's life is God's hand of mercy throughout his life, or especially throughout this season of his life. We see God's mercy in including him in his plans. We see God's mercy in forgiving Nineveh. We see God's mercy in sending a storm to bring Jonah back to him. And so that's what we talked about last week, and this week we're actually look at a different story. If last week was about God's mercy, tonight's story is about God's faithfulness. Tonight's story is about God's incredible faithfulness. And it's the story of Abraham and Isaac. Now let me give you just kind of the cliff notes, the spark notes of this story of who Abraham is. And so here we go. There's this guy, his name's Abraham. It's in Genesis chapter 12 is where we kind of pick up this story. If you're looking in your Bibles, we're going to be in Genesis chapter 22. And so, but I'm going to back us up a little bit. So Abraham comes on the scene and he's living with his family and God first enters the story by saying, hey, Abram, because his name was not yet Abraham, he said, Abram, I want you to go, leave your father's land and where you grew up, and I want you to go to a place that I will show you. Doesn't tell him where, doesn't tell him how long it's going to go. to the place where I will show you, and so Abraham, or Abram goes, and he follows the Lord. And, and so we, we, we watch Abram live this life, and there's a couple important things that happen. There's a covenant that God makes specifically with Abram where he says, listen, It is going to be your family, your line that will populate and create God's people. I'm gonna make that promise to you, God said. I'm gonna make your family, your lineage, be the family and and the people of God. And so he's like, okay, that sounds fine. And so he goes on and well, he starts to get older and older and older and guess what his wife Sarah gets older and older and older and there's no kids and they're starting to feel that tension of like okay God promised this we're not seeing this happen And, and we'll get to this story a little bit later in the summer they start trying to take things into their own hands and make sure that God's promise happens when they think it should happen And eventually, God meets with Abraham and he says, listen, number one, I'm gonna change your name. It's not gonna be Abram, it's gonna be Abraham. And Abraham simply means the father to many nations. He changes his wife's name and at this point, he's 99 and Sarah is 90. Let me say that again, he's 99 years old, no children. She's 90, no children. But God says once again, I'm going to make your family and your lineage as many as the stars are in the sky and the sand is on the beach. And Abraham, he falls down on his face and laughs. <laughs> I, can, I can imagine, he's 100 years old. Like, uh, that my time has come and gone. When Sarah hears the story, Abraham's sharing it, she too laughs. And within one year, Of that laughter, Sarah gives birth to Isaac. You know what Isaac means? It means he laughs. It's like God said, listen, not only am I going to change Abraham, your name, so that every time I speak to you, you will be reminded of the promise I have made to you, the father of many nations. Not only that, but I'm going to name your son. He laughs because you laughed at the idea that I couldn't do it. All right, and so then a couple years go by, Isaac grows up to become a teenager, we we, we suspect, and here we are in Genesis chapter 22. I wanna walk through this story very briefly, and then just like last week, we're gonna rewind the tape, and we're gonna walk through the story. And so in Genesis 22, all of a sudden, you see God once again address Abraham. He says, Abraham, hey, I got somewhere for you to go. I want you to leave where you're at and go to where I will show you. But this time... I want you to take your son your only son whom you love and I want you to sacrifice him on the mount of moriah. And shockingly enough, it, like there's this moment where Abraham's like, "Wait, what? You are telling me what?" But he goes. And he takes two of his servants, his son Isaac, and he walks three days to Mount Moriah, where God says, all right, this is the place. And Isaac notices some things that are a little bit off. We're going to go give a burnt offering, which by the way, in the Old Testament is simply the atonement process. They would give a burnt offering to God to to, uh, make make their sins um, atoned for. And so Abraham says, let's go. Isaac's like, but wait, there's a problem. We have the stuff we don't have the lamb. And Abraham's like, no problem, let's keep going. Let's go up the mountain, we'll we'll just see what God does. And he goes up on the mountain, and they make the altar, and still no lamb. And we don't see the conversation, we'll get to it here in a second, but we see the next thing we see is Isaac on the altar, bound and placed on the altar. And there's this moment where Abraham takes the knife and he lifts it up and he's about to kill his son. And just at the moment where he's about to thrust the knife into his chest, the angel of the Lord says, Abraham, Abraham, wait, 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 wait. Don't touch him. Don't do anything to him. For now I know that you fear the Lord. And he looks to the left and all of a sudden, out of nowhere, there's a ram. And Abraham takes the ram, puts it on the altar, and there's the burnt sacrifice for the sins of their people. And that's the story of Abraham and Isaac. Now let's rewind a little bit. I wanna break this story up into four sections. The first section comes through verse one, two, and three. Let me read. And he cut the wood from the, for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. This first section I just want to entitle God instructs and Abraham obeys. God instructs and Abraham obeys. What a far cry from Jonah last week, right? God instructed, Jonah ran. Here, God instructs and gives him a, a, a command and Abraham obeys. This is a shocking instruction. And every piece of this command, every piece of this instruction is a dagger to Abraham's heart. He's 100 plus years old. He and his wife have been waiting and waiting and waiting for a son. God has given them Isaac. And now all of a sudden, it seems that God is gonna go back on his promise. He says, Abraham, father of many nations, I want you to take your son, your only son, whom you love, and I want you to go to a place I will tell you, and I want you to offer him to me. What blows my mind about this part of the story is the obedience of Abraham. It says, he rose early the next morning, there was immediate obedience. There was no deal making. I'm going to be honest. If this were me, like I, it's a lot of you guys know, I got five kids, and I don't. I'm not at the level of Abraham's faith yet. If God said, "Andy, I want you to take Will, Annie, Hank, Charlie, or Nathan," and I want you to take them, I'd be like, "Um, excuse me. We need to. We need to meet." <laughs> this this was not the deal. Let's let's work something out here. Is there something could I could I go in their place? My immediate reaction was, let's deal. Let's deal, God. This is not the way I would do it. Maybe I would even be as bold to say, you know what, God, you just need to mind your own business. Okay? I've got this. You gave them to me. Let me take care of them. Let me do my dad thing. But that's not what Abraham did. But God asked for his greatest joy. Abraham's hope. Abraham and Sarah's dream is what God said, bring to me. Let's go. You see, Abraham was about to learn the difference between trusting the promise versus trusting the promiser. Because at times I think we can feel like it's our job to take care of what God is going to do. We rush it, we force it. And we're not even the ones getting the promise. We just have hopes and desires and dreams. But instead of waiting, we push and we push, and we, and we start to get the idea that God as the gift giver, it's our job to make sure the gift happens. There's a guy named Charles Haddon Spurgeon, he says this, there are times when we are called to a course of action which looks as though it would jeopardize our highest hopes, but it is neither your business nor mine to fulfill God's promise. I think the other way he would say is, we need to stay in our lane. Let God be God, and will do us. And in this case, it's to be faithful and obedient. Isaiah fifty-five eight and nine. Isaiah says this: "For your thoughts, for my thoughts are not your thoughts; neither are your ways my ways," declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. And I'm like, yes. Abraham's like, Amen. Because this is not the way I would do it. This is my son, my only son. Whom I love. God, why would you ask this of me? Yet he gets up early and he goes. When God instructs us, when he leads us, or maybe even when he calls us, it's not our job to negotiate a better deal, a more equitable deal, like Jonah tried. But like Abram, we are to trust and obey. Verse four, on the third day, So they go on their journey. Says on the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place from afar. Then Abraham said to his young men, "Stay here with the donkey. I and the boy will go over there and worship and come again to you." And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on on Isaac his son. And he took in his hand the fire and the knife. So they both went, uh, both of them together. And Isaac said to his father Abraham, "My father." He said, here I am, my son. He said, behold, the fire and the wood, but where's the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for, for the burnt offering, my son. So they went, both of them, together. This section I would entitle, God is silent and Abraham is faithful. There's a huge, monumental gap between verse three and verse four. Verse three. It says, and he cut the wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place which God had told him. Verse 4 on the third day. So, in between verse 3 and verse 4 are three days. Three days of walking with his son, knowing at the end of this journey, God has commanded me to do something unthinkable. Yet, God is, but, but Abraham is faithful. Now, I don't know what Abraham's thinking. We don't get that. But you know what? As a dad, I know exactly what I'd be thinking. Did I hear God wrong? Did I hear, did he really say that? Did he really make a promise that that out of my family, I would have a child that would birth the people of God? That would number the sand on the beach and the stars in the sky? Did I hear him right? I would pray, and I would and I guarantee I doubt. I wonder if Abraham mourned and cried on that three-day journey. Because the silence of God is hard. When we're in a season where we don't hear, where we feel like he doesn't hear us, we don't see him, we don't feel him, where there's this three-day journey of just like, what's going on? This is a theme that we see all throughout scripture, both Old and New Testament, is this idea of the wilderness. And this was a three-day wilderness for Abraham. God doesn't speak for three days. We don't know that Abraham spoke for three days. But why the silence? My wife is a wonderful writer, and she wrote on this subject, she said this, God doesn't usually give us all the information we want but he reveals enough. It's by design. Part of faith is having a holy imagination, looking forward and trusting God to make a way in every wilderness he puts in our path. It's trusting that there's much more at play here than our story. Following God doesn't always feel like an adventure. It can feel like a bushwhacking, hard going, and even flying blind. But looking back, I'm confident we will see where God called us to go in our lives of faith has never just been about our faith. There's a ripple effect that reaches generations. Abraham was a man full of faith that would have ripple effects for generations and generations to this room today. Abraham's faithfulness had ripple effects beyond just his situation. In verse 3, we see him get up early and rise the next day, and he goes. We get no sense that he resisted the Lord, even though it was a shockingly hard instruction, a man of faith. In verse 5, he instructs his servants, hey, you two wait here, me and Isaac are going up the hill, and we'll be back in a little bit after we go to worship. What? He had faith. He had enough faith to say, we'll be back, we not me. We will be back. And it's at this point in the story, as I prepared this message, that something dawned on me. And I wonder if sometimes we, we get into this idea. Like I mean, we we over-identify with Scripture, or we over-personify a character in Scripture and what they're experiencing. And here's what I mean by that. Maybe, just maybe, Abraham wasn't worried maybe he was a man of such faith that he was able to be obedient because he was not anxious, because he knew the promise keeper would keep his promise. Right? I put myself in the story. Sometimes we do that to a fault. Well, what I would do, what I would think, but maybe Abraham just said, you know what, God? Okay. You promised me You gave me this son, so whatever you're up to, this is gonna be awesome, let's go. Maybe he was excited to watch God do something he could not do himself. I don't know, maybe, because then in verse seven, Isaac throws out this huge question. The the elephant in the room, he says, "Uh, Dad, I see the wood and I see the fire, where's the lamb? Again, a faithful answer from Abraham. He says, God will provide for himself. This answer blows my mind. Like this is the most, this is the part just for me personally that gets me most excited. Because he says, God will provide. He didn't say for you. He didn't say he'll provide for me. He said he will provide for himself a lamb meaning that Abraham was looking at his situation not as poor victim Abraham. He said no, this is this is on God. He's the promise maker. He made the promise. So he it's on him to be the promise keeper. Not me, not my son, it's on him. He said God will provide for himself God will be faithful, Abraham's saying, he's not gonna be faithful for my sake, but for his name, for his reputation as the promise maker and a promise keeper, so I will trust him, because he is who he is. He is the great I am. I was trying to think of ways to describe this. It's like saying, well, that rain can be dry. No, it can't, rain is wet. God is faithful. He can't be unfaithful just like water can't be dry. It's wet. So Abraham can say, I will trust him. Abraham's faith was not his own. It was not on his own strength or his own. He was just some special kind of believer. It wasn't the size of Abraham's faith. It was the object of his faith because God was betting on himself. He said, God will provide for himself. Abraham knew his inability to keep God's promise for him. His faith in God allowed him to have a non-anxious anxious perspective. His faith allowed him to have a non-anxious perspective on his situation. I know y'all deal with anxiety. I talk with you enough, I read enough articles, I read enough studies that this generation is Anxious. And I have a theory that maybe we're anxious because we make the gifts of God too big and we make God too small. That our circumstances, we allow that to be so big that we're in awe and reverence of a situation or a circumstance. And instead of saying, no, no, I know the God who controls that circumstance, I know the God who is faithful in that circumstance. You see, as humans, we we tend to make the gift giver small and the gift big. Abraham was faithful and it allowed him to have a non-anxious perspective. And there will be seasons in life where God seems silent. But God's silence may be how it feels, but it's not how it is. Let me say that one more time. God's silence may be how it feels, but it's not how it is. The truth is that God is always speaking. He is always near. And he's inviting us, Matthew 11, come to me all who are weary and burdened. I want to read four scriptures to you. I want you to listen to these carefully, especially if you are anxious. Especially if you're like Abraham, maybe saying, "God, did I hear God right? Is he really good? Is he really with me? I haven't heard him in a long time. Maybe if you're in a season where God is silent, you need to hear these. Psalm 34, 18 says, the Lord is close to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. If I'm gonna put myself in Abraham's shoes, he was brokenhearted and crushed in spirit by the very command of God. Psalm 23, four. Although I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For your rod and your staff, they comfort me. If there was ever a valley of the shadow of death, Abraham knew it. Hebrews thirteen five says, keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have. Because God has said, never will I leave you and never will I forsake you. Romans 8.28 that we studied earlier this year. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him. Do you really believe that? Do you really believe that God is big enough to take whatever circumstance you're in and use it for your good and for his glory? Or is God so small that he can't do it? The God of the Bible is a God who says, You know what? I am over all, I am in all, and I will use all for your good and for his, our, his glory. Corey Tenboom has a wonderful quote. I think I've shared it before. She says, Never be afraid to trust an unknown future to a known God. Abraham knew God. That's why he was able to walk in the silence of God and come out faithful verses nine through 14. When they came to the place of which God had told him, Abraham built the altar there and laid the wood in in order and bound Isaac, his son, and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then Abraham reached out his hand and took the knife to slaughter his son. But the angel of the Lord called out from heaven and said to him, Abraham, Abraham. And his typical answer, here I am, I gotta imagine that here I am was filled with tears. He said, do not lay a hand on the boy or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God, seeing you have not withheld your son, your only son from me. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked and behold, behind him was a ram caught in the thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered it as a burnt sacrifice instead of his son. So Abraham called the name of that place, the Lord will provide. As it is said to this day, on the mount of the Lord, it shall be provided. Abraham hadn't lost his reverence and awe of God. He had learned over a lifetime to trust the Lord. You look at Abraham's story, he wasn't always faithful. He took some shortcuts. But Abraham and Sarah desired for so long and, for, and so deeply to have a son. And God gave it to them. But this was the test. This was the test right here. God gave them what he, they wanted. God gave them the longing into the desire of their heart. And then he said, you know what? We're gonna give you a test. To see If maybe, just maybe, you love and worship Isaac, the promise, more than the promiser. That you love the gift more than the gift giver. I want to pose a question. Could it be, follow me with this, could it be that that which we long for, that that which we desire and ask God for actually might replace God if it were given to us? That if he actually gave us what we really think we want and that what will really complete us and that will really make us happy, that if he actually gave it to us, we would worship that instead of him. And for some, it doesn't even need to be given to us. we already worship, just the mere idea of it. We have an idea and we form our whole life, our personality, our our, our daily schedules, our bank accounts for that thing. And I wonder if in this story, God's saying, Abraham, I gave you what you deeply desire and I promised you that I would use it, not just for your good, but your whole family from here on out, but I wanna make sure that you still fear me you still revere the Lord God's desires God desires what is best for us and that is to revere trust and obey him over all else I think sometimes this is the moment we forget that God is a father and that he loves you and wants what's best for you I grew up in a system of, of of Christianity that that was not the picture painted for me The picture of God, especially the God of the Old Testament, is one that's just waiting to get you. There was no love. There was just judgment and wrath and obedience. Like, you better do what I say. But Abraham knew better. He knew that God loved him and he cared for him and that he was faithful. God desires what is best for us. Do you really believe that? that God actually sees you and he knows you and he wants what's best for you. And that is to revere him, trust him and obey him over being comfortable, being in control, being rich, being married, being powerful, being significant. It's better than being respected. You see, Abraham had faith before in verse eight, where he told the guys, hey, we'll be back. We're going to go up here and worship. We'll be back. We will be back. And he had faith afterwards, when his faith became sight, where he saw God show up and and fulfill the promise He had given him. Number four is verse fifteen and eighteen. Verse 15 says, And the angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time from heaven and said, By myself I have sworn, declares the Lord, because you have done this. You have not withheld your son, your only son. I will surely bless you. And I will surely multiply your offspring as the stars of the heaven and in the sand that is on the seashore. And your offspring shall possess the gate of his enemies. And in your offspring shall all nations of the earth be blessed. That includes us in this room today because you have obeyed the voice of the Lord. Number four is God speaks and Abraham is blessed. God speaks and Abraham is blessed. Be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. I think sometimes I know in my life I want the blessing without the obedience. I wanna shortcut it, right? I wanna live vicariously through other people and just get the blessing. I wanna avoid the difficulty of the obedience. I want to avoid the discipline of obedience. I want to avoid the humble spirit that requires an obedience. I want to do what I want to do when I want to do it, and I still want to be blessed. That's not what God says to Abraham. He says, you will be blessed because you obeyed my voice. Now, let's not get this twisted. This is not prosperity gospel here. This is not, hey, if you obey me, you'll get everything you want. No. This is a, I'm going to fulfill my promise to you. Now obey me because I love you and I care for you and I have the best intentions for you. Because not every time in your situation like this, we gotta be careful. God did not make the promise to us in this room. Not every time is there going to be an immediate RAM solution to the situation. But you know what will be there for you? And the promise that has been given to you is that there will be a lamb, the lamb of God. And his name is Jesus. And so we may have to wait, it may not be right there. And we may have to walk a little bit farther into the wilderness, but God is faithful. God is faithful. Obedience brings blessing to all generations. I want to give you guys four questions to ponder as we finish. The first one is this. Who will benefit later from your obedience now? Who will benefit later from your obedience now? Because right, because Abraham was obedient. And who who, who was the benefactor of his obedience? not just him, not just Sarah, not just Isaac, but the entire generation and human history has benefited from his obedience. So maybe there's some things in your life that you know you're more of a Jonah than an Abraham. Maybe there's something in your life that you tolerate, that you deal with, you're like, you know what, it's not hurting anybody. No, 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 bring that into biblical obedience and see what God will do with it because you're not the only one that will be blessed by that obedience. So think about this, who will benefit later from your obedience now? Gentlemen, it'll be your wife and your children. Ladies, your obedience now will benefit your husband and your children and your grandchildren and your coworkers and your family. Second question, well, let me, let, me give it, let me frame it real quick. My wife is awesome, but one of the things that she hates to do is make school lunches. Hates it, because it's at the end of the day, we're both tired, and I just was talking to her, she's like, you know what, the only, the only thought that gets me through this process at 10 o'clock at night making lunches is tomorrow, Taylor will thank me. Tomorrow, Taylor will thank her, because when she gets up, she's like, oh, the lunches are made. Fantastic. That's obedience. Someone down the road, probably you, probably your friends, probably your family will say, oh, I'm so thankful I was obedient then. And what a better time to walk in obedience than in your young adult years. If you've heard me say it once, you've heard me say it a thousand times, there are no marriage problems. There are only single people problems that we bring into marriage. My second question is what is God calling you to lay down? Maybe a different way of saying, what are you withholding from the Lord? Like, you're like, God, you can have this part, but I'm gonna keep this part. You can have my my Tuesday nights, and you can have my Sundays, and you may have my Thursday nights in a small group, but I'm gonna keep my Fridays and my Saturdays. What is it for you? Because that was the test. God said, Abraham, I know that you fear me because you have not withheld anything from me. Your most precious thing you have not withheld. And maybe it's not a thing. Maybe it's just an idea. Maybe you're like, God, I will follow you everywhere, but I'm going to get married. And I'm going to make it happen. And I will sacrifice my standards and, and what I, I know to be true because I'm going to make this happen. I don't know what it is. Maybe it's your money. I don't know. But what might God be calling you to lay down? What are you holding on to that you have not given full surrender to him. Number three, what is is it that you fear, revere, or awe above the Lord? What is it that you revere, fear, or awe above the Lord? And lastly, is there a gift that you desire more than the gift giver? Is there a gift that you desire more than the gift giver? Isaac's only question, the only thing he says in this whole story is, Father, where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Where's where's the lamb? And Abraham, in in that moment, says God will provide a lamb for himself. But for you and I, we fast forward to John chapter one, verse 29, where John the Baptist answers that question. He says, the next day they saw Jesus walking and John the Baptist said, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Isaac asked the question. John the Baptist answered it. Like Abraham and Isaac, there would one day be another father, God, who would send his one and only son whom he loved, Jesus, on a three days journey. Jesus, like Isaac, would carry the very wood up a hill that he would be sacrificed on. And Jesus, like Isaac, would be willing to lay down his life for the benefit and blessing of others, you and me, our salvation. But unlike Isaac, there would be no substitute, no ram. Jesus is the lamb who laid on the altar of our sin to pay the penalty for us, that we might receive the blessing of being made right with God, forgiven, set free, and reunited with our maker. Do you see it? Do you see this? This is in Genesis. God is setting up Jesus the entire way. Isaac is a type of Christ. The entire Old Testament points to Jesus. I wanna end with this. Tim Keller has a wonderful little prose. He says, Jesus is the true and better Isaac who was not just offered up by his father on the mount but was truly sacrificed for us. And when God said to Abraham, now I know you love me because you did not withhold your son, your only son whom you love from me. Now we can look at God taking his son up the mountain and sacrificing him and say to God, now we know that you love us because you did not withhold your son, your only son whom you love from us. That's the Jesus we worship. That is the one we follow. Guys, we're gonna go to our 120 seconds. We're gonna keep the questions on the screen. I would just encourage you to take some time between you and the Lord and ask these questions and ask God to do work. Let him reveal some things to you. Let him encourage you that you follow a God of faithfulness. And then we're gonna sing one more song and our prayer team will be down here at the end of the, at, at, at the, end of the night. If you wanna talk to somebody about it, if you've got questions, let's pray. God, thank you for this time, thank you for the story of Abraham and Isaac, this huge flashing neon sign that points us to Jesus. God, thank you for a story that displays your incredible faithfulness. God, in the seasons of silence, as we walk through seasons of wilderness, God, remind us through your word that you are near and that you speak even when you're silent. God, I pray for the faithfulness of Abraham that I would trust you the way he did even despite my circumstance so God as we sing as we pray I pray that you do a work and you remind us of your goodness and your faithfulness